We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're going to be looking at Doctor Who episode, The Ghost Monument. And before we start with our recap tonight, I just want to, I'm just going to float this one question for you, Ben. Did you enjoy the episode? Yes, I did. God damn it. Okay. Here goes the recap of death. (laughs) But watch me change my opinion. (laughs) I hope not. I do hope not. We rejoin our heroes hanging in space where they are dying until Graham and Ryan are scooped up by a spacecraft that pops out of hyperspace next to them. The Doctor and Yaz are picked up by a second spacecraft. The ships are piloted by Angstrom and Epso, respectively. Both were expecting a planet to be where they came out of hyperspace, and both, more or less, are miffed that they wasted time picking up people floating in space. Epso, more so, because... It has caused a failure of his ship, the Cerebus. The planet has moved, and while Angstrom is able to pilot her ship down, Epso, only with the Doctor's assistance, manages to crash on the planet. This is the planet Desolation, and it is the last stop on a wacky race to the Ghost Monument, a mysterious temple that appears once every thousand years. That temple is actually the Doctor's TARDIS. Reluctantly, the survivors set out on the last leg of the journey across the desert to find the Ghost Monument. Along the way, there are hazards and a mystery that only the Doctor cares about. What happened to the colonists that used to live on this planet? And why has the world been left with a toxic atmosphere, which doesn't seem to be harming anyone, and deadly water, teeming with flesh-eating bacteria? Along the way, they discover the planet was captured and the inhabitants forced into slave labor by the Stenza, the intergalactic scourge that seems to be causing everybody's problems these days. The inhabitants were forced to create weapons, and so they turned them on the Stenza, making the planet a death trap. Through teamwork, they reach the finish line, but not before they encounter some bandages with ideas above their station, and a mention of the mysterious timeless child, plunked from the Doctor's mind, and accompanied by the sound of thousands of Doctor Who fans beating their heads against walls and tables. Angstrom and Epso became the tide winners and disappear from the planet, leaving the Doctor and her companions stranded with no ghost monument in sight. As the Doctor starts to break down in despair, the TARDIS appears, looking like crap, but the Doctor is overjoyed to see her and his home again. The Ghost Monument. Hopefully you still enjoy it. I did. Okay, good. But you're right. There was one moment where I banged my head against the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Only one? I had two, but I figured only one was worth the... the, the, There was... Well, yeah, there there was a second one. The mention of the Stenza. Was like ah yeah yeah they that were that was dull enough last time <laughs> yeah that was sort of there that yeah that was that but the the other one was the the one that was worth mentioning oh yeah I hit my head against the wall on that one yes we can talk about that bad wolf moment as as oh we the go timeless on. child really I mean the, the first thing that popped out of my mouth was we do not need to be adding more layers of mythos to the doctor yeah yeah Aban- what was it abandoned. Uh... Abandoned the and outcast. The outcast, abandoned and unknown. Unknown, yeah. And also, she doesn't know. She doesn't the know. It's hidden from herself. She doesn't know. Oh, sorry, that's a different 
episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, actually, but hidden from her. Yeah, hidden from herself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I and enough. You know, I I will. I'm just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it. I'm going to. I'm going to bow down to you, Ben. I was willing to ex- try to look for the best, but you were right. All Doctor Who showrunners lie. Mm-hmm. Yep, they lie. Sadly. I don't like having that cynical attitude, but, but... But it's true. Yeah. I mean, we now have an arc. Mm-hmm. Or or we worse, one, we have a bad have wolf, it. which wasn't even good enough to be called an arc. True. You know, it was just like some graffiti here and there. and you know, all right. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to start off asking some questions, and we can just kind of go through it. But this one has always been one of those things that, that cracks me up. How... Do you identify a phenomena that happens only once every a thousand years? I have no idea. But this episode was lots of what I call hand wavium. There, there was that. Yes, lots of it. You have to. I mean, it, it, I it's... mean, I mean now, and, and the reason I say that, at least with what we're getting now, as opposed to what we were getting, especially under Moffat. Moffat was he was just so egregious. When it came to this, oh, whether he intended to or not, he was turning Doctor Who into something of a more serious, harder, <laughs> harder sci-fi, trying to make it more science fiction. And it's not. It's I mean, I, I would I just saw a post from uh, David Gerald the other day on Facebook, who's a big Doctor Who fan. He says it's not sci-fi. It's sci-fantasy, you know, to kind of you know borrow something that Tom Baker said uh, in an interview years ago when he was still in the part. It's sci it's sci-fantasy. And with that, that allows you to really suspend a heck of a lot more disbelief than you would if this was a science fiction. Moffat tried to turn it into sci-fi and did a really terrible job of it, in my opinion. And I get the feeling that Chibnall is trying to go back to that so that there's you can you can watch a lot of this and just say, okay, yeah, it's Doctor Who because it's not it's it's just it's just a minor story point, but not really critical to what's happening to the people on the planet. Yeah, and I and I'm not and I didn't pick that one out first as 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 like to go through the nitpick list because that wasn't it. That is just one that you see in quite a few shows, right? This is a phenomena that only occurs every 10,347 years. Well, like, yeah, who that's... actually can manage to measure that and say, "You're right, that happened twice." Yeah, three yeah, times. Uh, that's um um oh shoot. Yeah, I mean it, yeah, we've been seeing that in Hollywood. Yeah, it's it's uh, not Finnegan's it's not. Rainbow. I mean, the Irish have a myth on that. Well, it's um, uh, Brigadoon. Yeah, Brigadoon. Brigadoon. But that fifty years isn't bad. Fifty years is not as horrible as a thousand. And no, and and it happens right in the middle of Ireland, where apparently people live, not on a desolate planet, which was you know had a it appears to be a relatively small colony on it for a while and then now is the death world but yeah it just it, you know i mean it's a cool idea for the tardis to be phasing in and out yeah there. but you know what would be more believable it shows up every year it's still weird that would have made for a better story i agree i agree yeah. it, it so, would have sounded better but you know it is what it is and i just kind of went okay yeah i fine yeah, I didn't even think about it until I was sitting here and typing up my notes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's one of those where they just a span is too long. All right, so um, South Africa, very nice change of pace. I was from was that where that was? I, yeah. I was I didn't know where they filmed that. Yeah, they went to South Africa for this one apparently. Uh, and okay, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you know it's it's obviously must add to the budget um, for Doctor Who, and 
that you know that's a double-edged sword you get a you get a great look out of it and certainly better than a quarry in Wales oh, trying I know. to double for the for oh, the planet. Oh god, yeah, advice you know the quarry. <laughs> but well, but okay. I'm just going to I'm going to put a thing in here for uh hand of fear. Mm-hmm. 100% hats off to them landing in a quarry which looks like an alien planet and then, you know, where are we're in a quarry. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was so if they want to have a quarry, I don't mind. Land in a quarry and say, "We're in a quarry." Yeah, I mean, well, I will say that, you know, this was, it was a very refreshing change of pace. However, uh, there is something very amusing about the whole quarry thing. I mean, every once in a while, you know, I'd like to, you know, Keith and I like to watch the the classic Doctor Who's. And we kind of laugh when we see, oh, it's that quarry again. And of course, the funny part about quarries is that it's meant to be a desolate landscape, right? Yeah. And you you and I live in a desolate landscape. So it's, it's, in a way, it's kind of funny. It's like. Really? You have to work hard at finding desolation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I know a place that's, you know, 40 miles out. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Okay. Um, let's carry on our, let's just start at the top with this one. Let's carry on our discussion from last time. The Doctor. Mm-hmm. Personality coming out yet? You? Uh, there's a little bit of a personality coming out. Um, I'm not sure. I, I will admit it felt a little odd when the first thing we hear is the Doctor bickering with epso in that manner it it did rattle me a little bit and i thought i hope that they're not trying to you know betray the doctor as this kind of person you mm-hmm. know like almost like nagging oh Be- oh oh i hadn't thought of that um i hope that oh you know i oh. but am i right i could see because that's how it came off okay I, I'm, I won't deny that that's that's a possibility and so now my question is this um is that because we have a double standard for women that an argumentative man yeah an argumentative man we call and i mean i mean us not the writers but i mean you see an argumentative man you think they're being strong and uh asserting their authority and you see an argumentative woman and that's nagging and that's not right but 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 whenever we've seen the doctor have an argument uh in the past with somebody has it taken that particular tone i don't because you 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 make a great question and i even called myself on that to wonder am i Am I uh, throwing some sort of a double standard here? And I don't believe I am because I it's something in the way that that scene is written mm. that stands out as different than any other situation we've seen the doctor in when he's trying to assert himself. Okay, since we're on that subject then, I'll switch to the end. Have we ever seen the doctor on the verge of despair like that mm. when, when the TARDIS didn't appear to be coming back? I, I felt... I had the similar feeling. It's like, oh, that's trading a little close to the stereotype on that. And I have been racking my brains trying to think of a situation where the doctor is so beaten that you think they're about to cry. Hmm. And I I don't know if that's intentional or we are imposing our cultural stereotypes. You know, I, I'm going to say I didn't get it. that. I'm going to say that I didn't get that. What I am going to say is I felt that the doctor felt terribly disappointed in herself uh, in letting those three people down after making promises like that and then to drop the ball because we've never Absolutely. seen the doctor in that kind of a situation before either. Not mm. like that. 
where mm. I promise you I'm going, you know, and this was like, oh, I'm going to get you home because I now know my TARDIS is there. I am going to get you home. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure you stay alive. You know, the, the I mean, went more than tried to sell it and only to re, only, only to believe that, wow, did I screw up. Okay. We can, we can carry that a step further then. Um, self-doubt because trying to prove herself to be the doctor to herself no i didn't get that because i you, i, I, you, I swear got, god i did not i didn't get that but you kind of in say, all you, honesty you kind of sound like you're saying she not exactly over promised but in other words she over emphasized that promise that no i i I'm didn't gonna, i'm gonna do a, this you know that's that's kind of the talk of someone who's trying to to also say yes i can do this i'm gonna do this Right, that's one way to look at that. And no, not I don't. I don't agree on this one because these companions are along for completely different reasons than anything else we've seen the Doctor go through. They were brought on against their will, even not against Ian, the Doctor's Barbara, will. But yeah, but but okay, for, forget yeah. forget Ian yeah. and Barbara. I mean, and that's a completely different. You know, you know, we're dealing with the whole William Hartnell thing. That that's I'm talking. You know, from like Pertwee on. Whenever a companion has come on, at least it has always been through the doors of the TARDIS. Not this time. Now we've got three people who were literally transported mm-hmm. into, you know, into deep space. And they are so out of their element. And the doctor realizes that. And the doctor also realizes that somehow, I don't know if the doctor blames herself I didn't get any sense that the doctor blamed herself for bringing them along, but the doctor is assuming some sense of responsibility for the fact that, okay, maybe it's not my fault that you're here, but I am going to take care of you now because this was not your choice. I am going to get you home. So this is simply that this doctor feels responsible for them being there. Maybe, but I don't think the doctor's going to like blame herself. Oh, this is my fault. We didn't get that. I didn't get that. I just get a sense of the doctor assuming responsibility for these people who are in a situation that they didn't ask for. It's not like someone, it's not like Tegan or Adric or Turlo or anybody else who just, you know, blunders their way into the TARDIS. That's different. These people got hijacked and they had no say on that. So the doctor is saying, I'm going to take care of you and is doing everything in her power to reassure them, not for herself, but for them. And when she fails on that, that's when we see the despair, mm. if you want to call it that, because she's ne- the doctor as a as as a time lord slash time lady has never been in that kind of a situation to that degree. I mean, we kind of got close a little bit with um, uh, the David Tennant Christmas special uh, mm. with the Titanic. Mm-hmm. We got a little close with that, but this time. Um, no, he's, he's got three living people here, or she's got three living people here. And she said, I promise you I'm going to get you home. I mean, you're, you're on an alien planet that's deadly. I promise I'm going to get you home. And when it looks like that, it all went, you know, all, all went belly up. Yeah, she feels a great sense of, of, of remorse at letting them down. Perfectly understandable. Mm-hmm. I will say that I do feel that the concept that, that I put forward last time, that the doctor still feels a bit generic. I still hold that to be true, with with few exceptions here. This this still feels like paint by the number. The doctor needs to 
you know, be this, be this, be this. You're you're trying to prove it's the Doctor as opposed to trying to show it's different from the last Doctor. It it still feels that way. We get the we get the oh call back to the Venusian Aikido, which is cool, and I I'm constantly annoyed at the fact that the Doctor rarely uses Venusian Aikido mm-hmm. because it would be so enormously useful for the Doctor, you know, prior between Pertwee and Capaldi. And the mm-hmm. reappearance of it. That it's like there are so many times when a nonviolent stop somebody would have been so useful and it's to seemingly have forgotten that skill and then bring it back. So I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I'm still kind of, I'm still just kind of seeing paint by the number doctor characteristics yet. And I, I you I'm know, not fine for that being, well, what is the distinguishing characteristic here? What, what, what separates this doctor from the others? What separates any doctor from the others? Their outlook, their attitude, their, their, Okay, what, what? you okay, you just listed three right there. Yeah, I see okay. those right here. I mean, okay. Yep, okay, so what basically I'm seeing commonality in the differences, if that makes any sense. Commonality in the difference. Okay. There are certain things that are going to change from re- regeneration to regeneration to regeneration. I'm seeing that. All right, so reset to mean is a change in all those. Well, okay. it, well, you know, and that was introduced, you know, whether we like it or not. Well, we, we've seen that. Just in personalities, even going back to Patrick Troughton, I mean, from the moment Troughton steps onto the screen, it is a totally different doctor. We get it again with Pertwee, completely different doctor. I mean, they even reference themselves in the third person. Colin Baker did it all the time, you know, whenever he had to, uh, uh, at least when he did was with the two doctors. I mean, uh, the way he was constantly mixing his personal pronouns, that just kind of goes to show the, the really weird psychological state that Time Lords live in, in terms of how they refer to each other. Sometimes they don't even like each other. So they view each other as different individuals. David Tennant, compliments of Russell T. Davies, really expounded on that, saying, it's a death. This is a new person. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether we like it or not, that's part of the mythos now. I mean, I'm not crazy on it. I didn't like it when I heard, when I heard it. And I wish Russell hadn't written that. But there it is. Hey, with regards to that scene on Russell T. Davies, um, how would you explain it to... A human, you know that that's a that's an extremely difficult concept to to explain what the continuity is like, and I I can understand it. I mean, it, it's it, I it, would it truly I would equate it to me that I end the 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 me that is me ends. Another guy mm-hmm. wakes up with all of my memories, yeah, but he's not me. I I I can see that. You know, it's almost like it's almost like the question of if you go through the transporter on Star Trek, is it really you at the other end or is it another you? Did you die and another you was created that had the first you's memories? Oh, God, are you pulling out the whole Spock must die thing again? Well, no, not not specifically Spock. Well, I mean, that may be where that is James Blish's novels, probably the first time that was brought forward. But that's been used subsequently in, in arguments about breaking down matter and reassembling it it, it is true it is a um is, I, it a is there a continuity of consciousness there or is it a copy of consciousness there i more uh liken it to death of personality as was shown in babylon 5 uh, yeah similar similar ideal a death of death of memory as well in that case and it's a very hard and, and you're right it's a very hard concept to grasp um because I, I just finished doing a rewatch of Babylon Five not too long ago, and and I, I remembered one episode where were you, were you following along with the B Five? No, guy? oh God, no, no, no! I do it on my own schedule. No, no, no. Um, and I remember um uh, an episode or the episode where Lita Alexander um 
not Alita, um, Talia, Talia Winters, where oh, the yeah. mole inside of her is let loose and, you know, a completely different personality. And I, so here I am, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, is it literally a completely different identity totally? Or is it like more like schizophrenia? You know, it's, it, it was a really hard thing to, to kind of grasp. You know, it's, it's like trying to, uh, trying to explain the true uh true concept of split personality disorder it's unless unless you've actually experienced it personally which i hope you never have yeah i was gonna say a terrible thing um there's no there's no real way to relate to that so yeah david tennant's doctor and you know with you know russell using david as as his um as his voice box shall we say yeah he's relating something that we can understand purely on, on on a verbal and maybe on some kind of an emotional level, but truly to understand what that means. No, I don't think we're capable of getting it. But nonetheless, we're seeing fundamental changes happen with the doctor every single time. Now, as for whether Chibnall is actually doing a paint by numbers, there's a good possibility that he may be holding back. I mean, he's he's right now forced to take on something that he's never had to do. I mean, aside from just being a huge Doctor Who fan, he is now in charge of a new doctor who is a woman. And already right now, I mean, I'm sure he approached that with great trepidation, even though he was probably really excited the idea of doing something this bold. But once he starts putting pen to paper, he's thinking, man, I hope I don't piss people off with some of the directions that I'd like to go. And as it is right now, I'm just I'm already reading news articles that are people screaming for get rid of Jodie Whittaker. I, I, I think that's uncalled for. I, I have no I compl- do too. I, I genuinely have no complaint. Right. I'm I don't not, either. Not, I like her. I'm not making that observation i'm just it's like i have nothing against paul mcgann but you know there is it it just does kind of feels like that you know what what are the essential characteristics the doctor must have and let's make sure that this is this is that because we don't want to be too far out off the line we don't want to make the mistake of colin baker and that's not colin baker's fault um i'm not oh no i'll do i'll do you one better turner's mistake i'll do you one better we don't want to make the mistake of chris eccleston i uh... Ooh, <laughs> I'm not as down on Eccleston as you are. I, oh, I agree. I'm so down of, on that guy. I, so and, and down on him. It is true, though, that his is also a little bit less weird. And I think for the same reasons. It's like you can't start with the character being way in the hell out there like Troughton, right? You had to start with something a little more recognizable to the viewers. And then and then you can start deviating <clears throat> No pattern. But anyway, yeah. I, it, it's and maybe just, that's what they're going to do here. Maybe they're just, uh, maybe Chibnall is just simply trying to, you know, hedge his bets uh, until he feels at a certain point. I mean, assuming that, okay, by this time, the audience should hopefully will be on board. So maybe now we can start to kind of go a little more unusual. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. And it could be they just have, you know, have to try to, they're trying to let her grow into the part. I don't know. Um, I just... You know, kind of counting the actions, going, yeah, okay, that's, that's, I'm still not seeing anything that, it's nothing I dislike, it's just. It's the doctor. It's, it's, yeah. All right, so let's turn our attention to one, Yaz, who I feel was uh, basically written out of this episode for 90, 95% of it. Did you see anything particularly going on there that I missed? Mm, No, I'm not sure what you mean. 
I mean, she just had nothing to do in this episode, by and large. No, Th- not this really, was, no. This was really... Um, this was... No, this was... Uh, if you're talking companions, this was really about... Um, Tweedledee Ryan and, and Tweedledum. Yeah. yeah. Oh, heck, I, I like Graham. Ryan I like Graham. annoys me. Uh, Ryan annoys me. Um, actually, Graham annoys me a bit, too, because he just wants to talk too much. I mean, he's trying to force Ryan to talk, and that's just as bad as being intransigent now it's just like let him be what why why do you feel obligated that you have to get him to to open up to you i, I don't I, I actually don't understand that but i i don't i don't get where he's coming from is it his own personal need to be family is it is it his own need to try to share the grief is it his own need he's trying to, try to, to set lion's life on he, i think he's straight? simply trying to bond with ryan he's been trying to bond with ryan ever since he married um uh the grandmother how old do you think ryan is supposed to be oh man that's a great question i think he's supposed to be 19 okay so he's an adult i'm i'm you know there, there is in that discussion of pacing we had last time mm-hmm. again we hit some spots here where we slowed down to have a chat and the the narrative structure has been jiggered around to allow that for example based on what we've seen already in this series, just just from the last episode and in other parts in this episode, do you really think that we needed to waste any time with them looking at the engines to, oh, it might be solar. Oh, yeah, maybe the thing. Because as far as I can tell, what happens is the doctor, they spend their time doing that. The doctor walks in, pays them a little compliment. Oh, I like the way you think. And then fixes it when we're not looking at it. Based on what we've seen of the sonic screwdriver that she built, I'm thinking she could have waved it over the boat and said uh, solar cell powers are cut off. So it just gave them some time to have agency. But is that really the the agency that is appropriate for those particular characters? They're doing the doctor's job in that in that particular instance. Um, you know, if they needed ditches digging, I'm thinking Ryan for that. Hmm. But it just, it, just uh, it, yeah, was it, oddly... I, it didn't feel odd to me. Hmm. It did not feel the slightest bit odd to me to see that uh, for them to go ahead and take charge. I mean, Graham volunteers Ryan. He it's yes. Graham is this older gentleman. He's dealing with grief in his own way. He's trying to bond with his step grandson. So I whatever Chibnall's motivations are in writing the scenes that way, I felt it it felt completely appropriate to me. I didn't have any problem with him. So here's a question then: Is the doctor just? Uh, and, I, and I don't mean this to sound patronizing because it's not. Um, it's the doctor building them up. In other words, mm. giving them giving them the opportunity to to not just be watching the doctor do everything. She she lets them go off and do their thing with the engine. She compliments them, but but really we don't know whether they were even if they were even right. She just says, "I like the way you guys are thinking here," and then goes off and fixes the engines. Mm. So. You know, here's a situation where, you know, Ryan definitely needs some building up. He needs a bit of growth, I, I think, as a human being. Yeah. And I think we also see that in the scene where she's trying to get him to remember his stuff about the acetylene. Um, there was, and that, by the way, that whole bit there was very Ian Chesterton. Uh, it, mm, it, yeah. It did feel like old style Doctor Who where we're going to teach you a little, a little science-y thing along the way, which I have no problem with. I just, no, I don't either. I note it. Uh, in in the in the process. Um, let's stay with Ryan, and and okay, I'll come back. We can we can use Ryan, and we can say if if maybe that was an example of the doctor's nurturing personality. 
So that could be one of the doctor's characteristics that's coming along that may be built up along the way. Uh, we have another situation where they're down there in the uh, shooting range, and Ryan decides he's going to grab one of the uh. guns and do his call of duty, which yeah. I am not going to mince Marnes. That's stupid. Oh, it um, was. It was terribly <laughs> stupid. <laughs> that's just stupid action on his part uh, anybody who's that, it, damn it, it, fool enough oh. to think playing a computer game and and going out there with with deadly weapons blasting at you has any similarity whatsoever deserves to get their head blown off i agree uh, completely okay. it was the dumbest thing and that's universal Funny. every bit of comment that i have read uh all over social media has just picked on that one scene and said you know that ryan is a complete idiot yeah funny i i i I chuckled but i chuckled through you're stupid (laughs) well yeah i i it was it was uh it'd be fine in a cartoon yeah i mean i i I was laughing but but i was cringing at the same time i could see daffy duck doing that That, that'd be hilarious see daffy duck would do that and and then you'd be like hopping around and whatnot on the way back as the bullets fire underneath their feet which by the way robots worst shot since the imperial stormtroopers from star wars no i know couldn't couldn't hit anything which when you're building death weapons for robot killers not not the best um by the way were those recycled guns from something yeah uh, well um which ones the ones the robots were carrying the, the ones possibly because kind of... i was also thinking about the the gun that epso was pointing um it felt like uh it, it really felt like an old familiar gun i've i've watched the episode three times now and each time i started that i think i know i've seen that gun somewhere before hmm. I, you know finally after all these years for for decades when doctor who was made they could resort to the bbc props department and costume department where they had a huge backlog of of 18th century and victorian area era costumes and and props and after 50 years they've actually got a prop room that's got some old guns and blasters and stuff in it so maybe that's we're just seeing props we've seen either redressed um which you know it's fine it's just for some reason when the robot guns popped up i'm like see seen that gun somewhere before yeah, the the gun that um that Ryan picked up that the robots were using, it did look very familiar, and I cannot place it. Okay, so now back to the what, what I was actually going with that. Ryan picks up a gun. The doctor berates him. Guns are not the answer, right? <laughs> Run off and do it, stupid, stupid, stupid Ryan. Ryan takes an energy weapon to go blast robots mm-hmm. who are not alive, and the weapon is ineffective against them um, okay? i mean for the long term yeah i mean they recover pretty quickly the doctor then basically blows him up with an em pulse can you tell me morally what the difference is between one guy shooting at an in or an animate non-living form and another person blasting it with an electromagnetic pulse because i don't see the moral difference there at all mm. i see no grounds for the doctor to be chastising him about guns I don't think it was a question. I don't think so much about guns per se. I don't, I don't think it was a moral point. Um, I think the doctor, yeah, it was a very extreme point of view that the doctor was taking. But I think the the, the lesson is that if you go about shooting, you're just going to make things worse. <clears throat> because what happens when Ryan comes back? Is it worse? Oh, 
Well, and also, but what she does is, you see, you looked at the wrong place on the ground. Here, here's the smart place for us to solve this problem. Okay, that's fine. But it's kind of like saying, you see that over there? That dead body? You picked the gun up and went and shot people. What you should have done is taken the grenade off of their belt. You got the wrong weapon. And... <clears throat> And that kind of is back to the first episode. We have a very much similar situation where she conducts an act of violence, and that's okay. But when the human does it, that deserves chastisement. Wow, you're going to get me to hate this episode all over I'm again now. You know I'm that. not trying to get you to hate the episode. Well, I'm just, but I'm you're, asking you're getting damn I'm... close because <laughs> that's, I mean, right now, I mean, yeah, you've got a really, really good point there. And now I have to look at that and think, okay, yeah, I'm that really gonna... calls them. That, no, you just call the doctor's character into question and it's a valid point. Now you've, now you've opened up. But the, uh, the not possibility. Been a no, 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 no. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that you have now presented the doctor as being extremely morally dubious, and instead of being, you know, the altruistic uh, hero or heroine that we want the doctor to be, now we see this doctor who's. It's all about ends justify the means, and we're going to do it my way. Well, if that's what we've got here, then this is something I don't like. Okay, I can see I can see that point. That wasn't what I was going for, but I can see that I can see that point as as a conclusion here. I am more inclined to believe that <clears throat> that instead of looking at the doctor's motivations, we should be looking at the writer's motivations on that one. Same difference. That because you know, the doctor the point of the writer is the doctor. The writer is the doctor. You know, what would it's, have been it's the, the, always been that way. I mean, the whoever the doctor is, they are a manifestation of the showrunner slash writer of that episode. And Chibnall wrote this. Would it so, have been different if instead of finding basically an uh, an EM bomb, the doctor opened up, found a master control circuit from the other robot and pulled it out of its thing and and soniced it to cause the robots to all shut down? No difference. Same result. Yeah, result I'm, is I'm, exactly the same. Therefore, there's no difference. And and none of which was violence against a life form, right? This, no. This is all like, oh, the, 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 but okay, so you're tied to a, you tied to a, a table and a pendulum with a blade attached to it is swinging back and forth and you take a stick and you break the blade, that an act of violence. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, where where do we draw the line from a, a swinging blade mechanism to a robot death machine? I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, <clears throat> I thought that it was, it, it's not the fact that the doctor used the e-impulse because it's a fair approach to try to shut down a bunch of machines. It's the, you can't use guns on them because guns are always bad no matter what i never use a gun i always had this problem with macgyver too you know sure you don't use a gun to shoot somebody i'm fine with that but there might be a situation and i'm having to make something up here where if you had a gun and you were a marksman you might be able to shoot a light bulb out on an infrared you know electric eye and so therefore guns aren't always bad a gun is a tool and it's may have not been the right tool in this situation, but it just it just seems like it was very and and believe me, listeners, if anyone is thinking, hey, oh, that's a bunch of Americans, they're all gun nuts. I hate them. I'm for their total abolishment. I'm I'm 100% on board with that agenda. So it's not <laughs> it's not me going. Well, they're offending my sensibility. It's just thought. Well, oh uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. 
move on. I don't. Uh, let's see. What else have we got? Uh, we already talked about the fact that it's the Stenza again. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not happy about. I'm not happy about that either because I wasn't impressed with them last time. I mean, I I was okay with them last time, but to me, they're um they're they're a one shot villain. They're they're comical. Um, although obviously there's a heck of a lot more going on with them now than we were previously led to believe from last week's episode. I mean, first we just had Simshaw who wanted to elevate himself and he had to go through this rite in order to do that. But aside from that, we know nothing about them. Right. So, you know, it's like you see your first Suntaran and then you see a fleet of Suntarans. I, I kind of am okay with it. And Simshaw, as we discussed, is he's not just a representative of this species. He's a liar and a cheat. Yeah. So we really don't know what the mighty Stenza Empire is like and it seems like this is a point in history where earth it's, it's probably modern day right it's it, the, the teleport was probably took them it it it, it was present day contemporary it's present day to now they'd never heard of humans and um so the the stens are dealing their 500 galaxies away they're doing their invading conquering fleet thing um so I, I'm. I would be okay with it if I just was so uh, underwhelmed by Simshaw. Maybe they'll be fantastic villains, but you know, as a single representative, he's a guy in a armored suit with teeth stuck to his face. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I would be happy if we don't hear the name Stenza for a while. I would be too, but I highly doubt that, especially based on the trailer for next week. Did it have? Did the thing of Rosa Parks have anything to do with aliens? Um, let's. She's being hunted. I just assumed that was by the KKK or something. But, no, uh, no, no. She's being hunted, and I can guarantee it's by the Stenza. No. I mean, I have no evidence of it, but I just, I'm, I'm convinced that's going to be I'm the sure, MacGuffin you know, for the entire series. My guess is also then, if 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 you're going to go with that one, then then Rosa probably is. Um, uh, I'm going to guess that she'll be the one that intuits the words "timeless child" somehow in that episode. Uh, I hope not, but you're probably right. <laughs> that, that seems like. That seems like the thing, the kind of thing that they would have done during the Russell T. Davies era, and therefore um, this—that's very this bad, Wolf. Davies Light era that that we seem to be starting on here um, would do as well. Or yeah, and 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 I'll sense. I'll echo that uh, echo what I said earlier. This is one thing that I am very disappointed in. I was not the least bit happy when the Shroud or whatever you want to call them. Mm. Uh, blurted that part out and I just oh no Chibnall you did not go down that road I was not I, I was very vocal in my disapproval of that <laughs> as as was I as was I um what else have we got what'd you think mm. about the race oh the rally yeah um cliche but it didn't bother me I mean it much the same way that we've seen uh well not with Doctor Who but with so, I mean, so many other sci-fi light shows i mean this is it's not the first time uh that we've seen something along these lines uh maybe first time for doctor who but it, it didn't bother me at all i mean it was just a means to tell the story and no big difference from some other episodes of classic who a nitpick question you've watched it three times i've seen it one time tell me did they ever explain why the planet had moved no never and that that is disturbing i kind of get the feeling that there was it was probably tied in to what the scientists did in order to destroy the work, but it's never stated. It's only implied. Okay. I was very proud of my kids during the course of this episode. Um, 
when Epso was explaining his self-lighting cigar, they mm-hmm. both immediately identified Chekhov's gun uh, in that moment. Uh, it was it was <laughs> it was so obvious, but like, oh, okay, that was going to save their day somehow. Mm. <laughs> They're going to need somehow to snap their fingers and have some fire and save the day. And uh, I admit, I expected Epso to go up with it when that happened. Would have been nice. Well, you know, it wasn't... It I wasn't didn't care the, for him too much. It wasn't so much that. It's just, you know, kind of the cliche of, like, you could see him standing there with the cigar and, and all the bad guys around him and the room filled with gas. And he's like, hey, boys, I've been saving this for an occasion. And then boom and blow. It, it, it felt like that kind of a character uh, moment. So I, I never expected that to be given over to Graham to uh, to detonate the uh, the acetylene. Okay. Um, I may have tipped my hand. What do you think of the TARDIS? Uh, I was actually kind of disappointed a little bit. It really feels like a, a callback to Eccleston slash Tennant. Which is bar none my least favorite TARDIS. Mine too. Design. And yeah, I, di- I didn't care for it this. I, I mean, I looked at it and went, eh. Wow. No imagination. You just, you just gave your designer and said, yeah, this is what a TARDIS looked like uh, when my, my pal Russ was running the show, so I want that back, but a little different because you know I get to pay you for something. I I didn't like it. I really didn't like. I mean, it. even even the console, yeah, looked like just a rehash. I mean, there was a few little ornamentations that were different, but oh, aside oh, from that, oh yeah, the spinning the, the, the spinning TARDIS, yeah. Oh, thought, oh you trying to be cute? Yeah, my kids um, groaned. Although I'm, I I'm letting that one go. But the rest of it just felt like a rehash. So I was a tiny bit let down, but eh, oh well. I hope they turn the lights on. I mean, I, I, oh, I know it is pretty dark in there. But as it's been, there has really, there's only been one TARDIS since the show came back that I've really, 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 really liked. Um, That was the last one. Oh, the last one? I actually liked if if I had to have the the tenant console nonsense. I liked the War Doctor's version that was kind of half and half old and new. Didn't you know? I forgotten all about that because we only see it just for momentarily. The day of the Doctor, yeah, we don't get a really good uh, good look at that. But uh, as far as regular uh, regular Doctors and their Tardises or Tardi, however you want to call it, uh, I was yeah not happy with any of them except for. uh, the one that Matt Smith finally gets and Capaldi inherits. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I would have to put Capaldi's as the favorite of the bunch. Um, I still don't like the console. I don't like the, I don't like the, the calliope on top, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the merry-go-round yeah. thing happening up at the top. But, um, uh, you know, when they, they kind of de-emphasized that when they went to Capaldi and they put all the books around it. Made it look more like a library. So anyway, uh, I don't have anything else on this episode that I can think of. Um, not much either. Uh, I covered pretty much all the grounds that that I had made note of as well. Uh, yeah, I'm looking over my notes. I really don't see. You know, one little thing that kind of. Oh, I do have one. It, it kind of stuck out. There was one thing that kind of stuck out that, okay, so everybody's got this universal translator that's been implanted in, into their backs, compliments of the metapods. Did you did you think I just want to ask, did you think at that moment, oh, maybe Keith's theory that we're not going to get the TARDIS back is correct because if now fix these people with a universal translator. I, I did think that for that moment. For a brief moment, yeah. That, I did that, too. Sadly. 
But I was, that's why I was so happy when the TARDIS did show up. Thought, oh, that's wonderful. Yay. <laughs> wonderful. Great. Uh, but the thing that got me is when they're all on the boat mm-hmm. and uh, was it Angstrom? Is that her name? Yeah. Is she at one point she says, you all look shattered. That is a really slang term. True. So I'm I'm fascinated that the the universal translator works in idioms. Well, they're all they're all um, northerners, so they, they all. Have oh, that. is that it? Yeah. Okay. They're, they're slang. I'm surprised she didn't say we need to get a shift on. They she did. The doctor did. I mean, I yeah, the doctor did. Yeah. As part of the as part of the translational circuit, I, I do have one other thing. Mm-hmm. I do have one other thing. I was I was I don't know whether it's just damn clever or damned annoying, but when. Uh, Ryan and Graham and Angstrom were on the planet, and the wreck of the Cerebus is coming at them, and they oh, start running. They're and running. I thought, yeah, I have that in my notes. Are you are you seriously going to run in a straight line with a thing that's coming at you? Yeah, has I have no that. one learned anything anywhere? Run and perpendicular, as you, and then as you pull back, you realize they're in a ditch and they have no choice but to run. And I go. Oh, okay, for once in the entire history of television, somebody thought of that, and they have no choice but to run in the wrong direction. And I don't agree. And I think it they held run me up the for hill. a second. It held me for a second, and then I go, but what are the odds that the spaceship coming down would be lined up perfectly with the ditch that they happened well, to that be stuck too. in? <laughs> that too. That, I, I noticed that as well, and I thought, okay, well, that's just more than a coincidence. But I thought, no, you guys have got plenty of time to climb the sides and run. You know, Keith was watching, and he says, actually, what they should have done, they should have run the opposite direction. They should have run, run backwards, it. that's right, because the ship probably would have gone over them. It would have gone over them, exactly. Yeah, there there are a number of things you could do, and admittedly, you're in a panic. So I, I I saw it, but I feel that the way that the director shot it, I did not realize they were in a channel on first watch when that happened. And so when they started running in that direction, I just thought, seriously, dudes? And then it pulls back and you go, ah, okay, clever, clever reveal, clever directorial piece. I don't know if that's in the script or whether the director decided to do it that way or what, but it was, I, I, I <clears throat> Still, nonetheless, there were ways around it, but okay. All right. Nope. Got nothing more. Uh, just one thing. Did Pythagoras invent shades because of his hangovers? Uh, that was very Capaldi, wasn't it? Uh-huh. I felt. Um, and and even if it had, I, I guess the doctor could have transferred stuff from their pockets, from the tattered clothes to the stuff they bought in the um, thrift store. But having not returned to the TARDIS, I don't expect the Doctor to have too much of their historical uh, stuff traveling around with them. So mm, I just yeah. just thinking those came from the from the thrift store. They certainly looked like they came from a thrift store. They did, didn't they? They were gaudy, quite they were gaudy. All right. Well, Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a player. Oh, I got. I have, yeah, I have the title for After Rosa. Yes. Arachnids the, in the UK. Arachnids in the UK. Then there's another. But that's one all I've got. Bombay. This is one about. Bombay, where they visit hmm. Yaz's grandmother, something, and um, mm, 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 mm. didn't didn't impress upon me too much. But anyway, all right. So yes, so Ben, thank you. I'm glad I didn't ruin this. Entirely. Not entirely. Not entirely. It's a little bit, but I mean, it's something to be to be looking for to see if this is going to be a recurring theme. And listeners, next week on Fusion Patrol, we will be looking at the Space 1999 episode Devil's Planet, and then after that, we will be back with Rosa the week after that. So, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers! 
Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.